One of my very favorite artists is a guy by the name of Banksy. Now, Banksy is a street artist that has gained popularity in the uh, sophisticated art world as well. And he considers himself a social activist. In fact, many of his pieces of art are social commentaries, begging those that observe it to ask tough questions and look at inconsistencies in their life and their culture. But he also really likes doing these cultural experiments. And in one such experiment, Banksy took a handful of his artwork and he handed it off to just an average New York City street vendor. And he asked that street vendor to set up a booth on one of the busiest corners in New York and sell his original pieces of art for $60 a piece. And so during the first two hours, the busiest two hours of the day, thousands of people are passing by in rush hour in New York. The artist sold nothing. Thousands of people walked by and none paused. None stopped to purchase any artwork. In fact, the first person that stopped, stopped and haggled with the vendor and negotiated a buy one, get one free deal. Pretty rare that you can get a deal like that with a Banksy original. Later on in that afternoon, a gentleman came by and he had just uh, rented a new apartment. And he said he had a lot of blank space on the wall and he just needed some fillers, some placeholders. So he purchased Banksy's artwork. In the entire day, the vendor made four sales. Four sales in an entire day. So the next day, Banksy took his artwork and he put it up in one of New York's most prestigious galleries. And he adjusted the price slightly from $60 to $60,000. By the end of the night, he had sold out. What changed? Why did no one on the street stop for this unspeakable deal, but when they were in the gallery, they were willing to shell out massive sums of money to purchase the same artwork. You see, I'd like to propose that in the absence of the creator, Banksy, on the street, his creation was devoid of value. You see, so your average person passing by the booth assumed that the artwork was a cheap knockoff, a plagiarism, and therefore it wasn't even worth the canvas and paint used to create it. But in the presence of the creator, the creation's inherent value becomes evident. This is such a picture of redemption. And it's one that the Apostle Paul is going to dig into in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. But before we jump into that passage, let's just go back and remember a little bit about Paul's background. Paul is a religious leader. He is knowledgeable. He's a Sadducee. He has respect and authority within his community. And he's overseeing the persecution of the early church. You see, Paul at the time was named Saul, and he saw the early church as a cheap knockoff 
of his Hebrew religion. And so because of that, he wanted to eradicate it. And so he oversaw horrible persecution of men and women that were trying to spread the gospel. And one day he was going to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, he was stopped by God. And scripture says the Lord's presence was so magnificent that it blinded him. And so Paul dropped down to the ground there on the road, blinded, bowing before God, and listened as God told him to go to a home in Damascus and wait. The rest of Paul's company led him down the road, hand in hand, and they brought him to a home. And it says that Paul sat there in darkness without eating or drinking for three full days before one of Jesus' disciples, Ananias, came to the home a bit begrudgingly. And Ananias entered the room and he began to share this gospel that we've been talking about. And Paul, for the first time, accepted that gospel. And it says the scales fell off of his eyes and he could see clearly. So after these scales fall off of his eyes, he suddenly sees the world in a new light. He sees the world in the light of his creator, right? He quite literally encountered the presence of God and that changed everything. That changed how he saw you and I. It changed how he saw his world. And he left that place encouraged to start acting radically, And spreading this gospel to the ends of the earth. And so Paul faces extreme persecution. He faces imprisonment. And the church in Corinth begins to think that maybe Paul isn't just a radical believer. Maybe he has gone mad. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians is responding to this church and defending his apparent lunacy. So let's look together. Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul is saying the reason that I act the way that I do is because it is a life under compulsion as I find my identity in the love of my God. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's kind of a a punch in the mouth for the Corinthian church. Say, the reason that I act this way is because I'm not acting of myself anymore. I'm responding to where God is calling me. I'm seeing the world as God sees it. And so because of that, I live radically. He goes on. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. You see, Paul recognizes that when you encounter the presence of God, it changes the way that you see yourself. You start to identify yourself as loved by God. It's who we are. And when we start to fully embrace who we are and we start to embrace our inherent value as God's creation, it will start to shift the way that we see the world. 
And suddenly, in the presence of the Creator, His creation that is all around us holds great value. And so, as we really think about this, we realize that part of redemption is being made new, is finding our value in Christ. But the second piece of redemption is to see the world around us, to see the creation of our God as redeemed and as valuable. And if my sitting in traffic yesterday is any indicator, I still have a lot of work to be done here. But I think it's interesting because what changes Paul's view What changes the way that he sees the world, what changes the way that he responds to the world is being enveloped by God's presence. And you and I are probably not going to be stopped on the road on our way home by a blinding light. But we believe that God is present all around us. In fact, uh, this summer I took our middle schoolers to Camp Cow. And at Camp Cal, we were exploring um, what it means to recognize that God is real, right? He's not just a figment of our imagination. He's not a mythical being. His book of scripture is not a compilation of fairy tales meant to encourage us to do good things. But instead, he's real. And that should have a drastic impact on our life. And this one morning, we were particularly focusing on the fact that God is omnipresent. He is all around us. He is everywhere in his creation. There is nowhere that we can go to escape the love of God. There is nowhere that we can go to escape his creative nature. But oftentimes, we don't see God. Oftentimes, we don't see God. And We encourage our kids to recognize that that is not a reflection of God's absence, but that's a reflection of how we see the world. And so we took smaller groups of students and we were going to take them on a hike. And we encouraged them on this hike to say a quick prayer to God, to ask that he might open their eyes to see him. And then to walk silently for 15 to 20 minutes, looking for God all around them. And so we hiked. And at the end of the hike, the students circled up, and it was so encouraging just to hear their stories of where they saw God. But one story stuck out in particular. A seventh grade boy raised his hand and he said, I saw God in a dead stump. And I paused for a minute, I prodded him, oh, you mind explaining that a little bit? And he said, well, coming to camp, I really feel like my spiritual life is dead. My relationship with God is dead. I'm just struggling with doubt of whether or not God is even real. And if he is real, if that even matters for me. But on that dead stump, there was a little flower growing out of the center of it. And I felt like that was God telling me that even though I'm dead, That even though my relationship with him is in a bad spot, that he can bring something new out of me. That he can fix that relationship, that he can make it beautiful again. It still gives me shivers when I share that story because it really is such a magnificent picture of redemption. 
right? The old becoming new. But on top of that, it's a reflection of a seventh grade boy that is beginning to understand the world as it is seen through God's eyes, not his own. You see, he was intentional to look for God. And I would guess that if he is hiking that same trail with a bunch of buddies goofing around, he probably wouldn't have noticed God there. He probably wouldn't have seen that message that God was sharing with him. But he was intentional. He was allowing his eyes to adjust. Just like many of us are going to walk outside after the service today and we're going to squint because it's so bright and we can't see anything. But as we slowly allow our eyes to focus, things become clearer. You see, this is not a new practice. This is a spiritual discipline brought to us uh, by a man named Brother Lawrence from the 17th century. And he coined the term practicing the presence of God. And in short, it means intentionally going about our day looking for God, recognizing that he is all around us, that he is in this room, that he's going to be in your car when you leave, that he's at the Bears game this afternoon. And saying, where is God and why can't I see him? Brother Lawrence said, I drove away from my mind everything capable of spoiling the sense of the presence of God. I just make it my business to persevere in his holy presence. My soul has had an habitual, silent, secret conversation with God. You see, we are constantly tempted to look away. We are constantly tempted to ignore God's presence around us. But if we become intentional about seeking out God, about looking for his presence, we'll start to notice that it changes the way that we live. And it's not going to happen all in one instant. And I would encourage each and every one of us to be like this seventh grade boy. And maybe it starts with every morning going on a walk and on that walk looking for God. Maybe it's simpler than that, and it's just sitting with our cup of coffee looking out the window. Maybe it has to do with how we commute to work. We turn the radio off and look for God in our surroundings. Maybe it has to do with the conversations that we have with our children in the morning. Or the interactions that we have with a cashier. God is there, why can't we see him? Let's begin intentionally adjusting our vision so that we see God around us. This is important if we're going to embrace redemption. Because it's more than just a way of seeing the world. It's a way of responding to the world. And Paul continues on in the 2 Corinthians passage in verse 20 by explaining to us, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, Paul is saying that when we adjust the way that we see the world, when we identify ourselves as loved by God, and we begin to look for the inherent value in his creation that has been redeemed through his Son, it changes how we respond. Because without God, we see the world for its sins, for its 
failures, for its shortcoming, for its depravity. Or on the flip side, we see it for its resources and what it can give us. But when we begin to see the world through the eyes of Christ, as found in his love, we begin to see a world that is capable of being renewed. We are enabled, as Dan says, to participate in the renewing of the world around us. And so not only are we redeemed, but we become ambassadors of God's love, spreading his redemption to those around us. Paul understood this. It dictated the way that he responded to the world. One of my favorite stories, he's in a prison cell, wrongly accused. He's just been beaten and he's locked up and God comes and he opens the door to his cell. But Paul, recognizing the consequences it will have on this jailer if he leaves, stays put. And when the jailer sees the doors open... He begins to attempt to take his life. And Paul cuts him off quickly and he says, no, 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 don't worry. We are here. And it says that the jailer and his entire family come to know God that night and are redeemed. Why? Because Paul saw the inherent value of this jailer. And instead of thinking, well, I was wrongly accused and it serves him right He said, I will stay in prison if it means that I have an opportunity to bring redemption to this man. A couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to meet a couple or not a couple, just a couple of people um, named Juliet and Emmanuel. Juliet is here on the left. They're both Rwandan and Juliet um, is a Tutsi, but she was married to a Hutu. She had two sons that would both be considered Hutus, and this had big implications during the Rwandan genocide about 20 years ago. The Tutsi people were trying to round up and eliminate all of the Tutsis, or all the Hutus. And so they were fleeing for their lives. Juliet and her family were fleeing for their lives. And they came into this village, and there was a school in the village, and the school said, come in here, we'll offer you protection. Right? It had big walls, barbed wire on it. And so they invited this entire village of people with Juliet to come and seek refuge in the safety of the walls of this school. And so her entire village goes in only to find out that they've been deceived and that this is a trap. And the Hutus come in, or the Tutsis come in and slaughter every single man and woman of Hutu descent. Juliet is spared because she is a Tutsi, but she watches as men chop down her husband and sons, her friends and her neighbors. On the right here is a man named Emmanuel. Emmanuel is also a Tutsi, and he was at that school as well. But he was not seeking refuge He was wielding a machete. And years later, Emmanuel came to Juliet and begged for forgiveness for what he had done. And Juliet shares that responding to this passage here 
in 2 Corinthians, she saw Emmanuel not for what he had done, but for what God could make him. And she forgave him. They are now neighbors. And they travel all over Rwanda, sharing their story of reconciliation. You see, when we see the world through redemptive eyes, we recognize not its depravity, not its atrocity, but instead its inherent value. And that dictates our response to the creation around us. You see, this woman, Juliet, could not respond in hate to this man because she saw him as loved by God. If it can have that kind of impact in a relationship like that, imagine the impact that this could have in our lives. If we really embraced our identity in the love of Christ, if we really responded to his gospel in such a way that we saw each and every person we encountered as valued by God, as worthy of redemption, and as an opportunity for renewal. On a lesser level, my uh, good friend Peter Solaro and I oftentimes get together, and uh, as many of you probably do as well, we occasionally vent our frustrations about coworkers or friends or in-laws. And Peter is always very good at catching himself. And usually halfway through, he pauses and he says, Ah, but Jesus died for them too. Right? And he says it a little bit facetiously, but the point is, is that Peter knows that if I see somebody in the light of Christ, if I understand that they are loved by God and they are redeemed, then that necessitates a different response. That must change how I act towards them. Again, as Paul says, we no longer see the world from our own point of view. But we see it as made new in Christ's love. It changes how we see things. Now that we have encountered the presence of the Creator, His creation's inherent value is evident. We cannot feed the hungry when we believe that their actions and addictions have left them hungry. We cannot clothe the naked when we believe they are undeserving of our clothes. We cannot heal the sick when we choose to believe that their lifestyle is what led them to this illness. This world is broken. It's depraved. It has fallen. It is sinful. But it has been redeemed. And we have an option to choose to see it through our own eyes and recognize it only for its shortcomings or to intentionally place ourselves in the presence of our Creator so that its value becomes evident to us. How will we respond? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can rest assured that our identity is 
a beloved child of God. But Lord, we pray that that would go farther than just a feeling, farther than just a statement. Lord, that that would begin to shift the way our eyes see the world. And in doing so, necessitate a response of love. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would see every interaction we have as an opportunity to participate in the renewing of your world. Lord, to point to the redemption that you have done here. Pray that we would intentionally seek out your presence. And Lord, slowly begin to adjust our eyes to see you all around us. We pray this in your name. Amen.